Welcome back to The Conversation. I'm Yanji Denise in for Catherine Cruz today. We are talking about concealed carry permits in the islands and the sensitive places restrictions on where guns can and cannot go. We have three guests joining us live in the studio. Chris Marvin is a combat wounded veteran of the war in Afghanistan who runs Marvin Strategies, a communication firm that specializes in engaging veteran voices on important social issues. He works closely with the Every Town for Gun Safety, a nonprofit organization organization working to end gun violence. Welcome, Chris. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Also here is Glennon Jingo, a real estate broker who splits his time between Oahu and Hawaii Island. He's a board member of the Hawaii Rifle Association, a Second Amendment advocacy group. He is also an avid hunter and helps to train people in gun safety. Glennon, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. And also joining us today, Honolulu Police Captain Carlene Lau. She's the executive officer of the department's Record and Identification Division. She served with HPD for more than two decades and has an extensive background in criminal and traffic collision investigation. Welcome to you all, and thank you for being here, Captain. Thank you for having me. I want to start our conversation with you. Uh, let's talk specifically about permits. We're going to get to the sensitive places legislation in a moment. But first, let's talk about the numbers here. This, of course, just applies to Honolulu County. Walk us through how many people have applied for permits, how many have been granted, and typically what this process entails. Thank you. Um, today's numbers, we have um, 823 applicants who have applied for 1,189 firearms. And the approved numbers are, we have 104 applicants who have been approved to carry 143 firearms. Okay, and that discrepancy in the number uh, is because some people have applied for more than one permit. So there, there's over 800 individuals applying for close to 1,200 firearms. That's correct. So here in Honolulu County, you can apply for, um, there's no limit as to how many licenses you can apply for. Okay, and how many folks have been approved? Um, so far it's been 104 people. Has anyone been declined? No one has been declined at this time. Okay, let's talk about that application process. Um, you know, what do you need to prove in order to be granted a permit? Um, <laughs> or what are the what are the disqualifications? Just in the most simple terms. So one of the biggest disqualifications is that you are not allowed to have a firearm at all. So um, by federal standards, if you have been convicted of a felony or um, abuse or violent crime, and there's there's a long list of prohibitors as here in Hawaii as far as. Um, people who are not able to acquire and own a firearm. So if you are not able to own and acquire a firearm, you're automatically disqualified from having a license to carry. And that's probably our most common question. Okay, Glennon, what are your thoughts on the permitting process so far? How do you think it's going? Well, I think it's such a new thing for Hawaii in general. And being on the big island, we've seen um, some delays as well. And some people's perspective is that they would think it would be a little bit faster response, but I think given all the circumstances and what HBD is trying to do on multi-islands and trying to be consistent, especially trying to keep guns out of the, the wrong people's hands, I think uh, it's it's going smoothly enough for now, and hopefully as it, it ramps up, it'll get even smoother. So we're, we're, you know, we're confident that that will come together with HPD. Okay, Chris, what are your thoughts? You know, the captain tells us no one at this point has been denied a permit. Uh, does that raise any concern for you? I think that we want to trust that the <clears throat> the systems that the, the sheriffs and the different islands have put into place are the right systems, that they are um, thoroughly vetting the folks and that these are people who are responsible gun owners and and uh, able to, to conceal carry a weapon safely in, in, in the appropriate places. Um, you know, I think that this is a decision that came down from the Supreme Court. This isn't something that Hawaii uh, legislators or Hawaii citizens decided they wanted, right? The Supreme Court said that uh, the laws in Hawaii and New York and California and a couple other states were unconstitutional with regard to the way they were issuing these permits. And so they're telling us that, you know, we, as a state, we don't have the ability to determine what's best for our citizens. They're going to tell us what we need to do. And so all of these changes are adjustments to that. It's reacting to that Supreme Court decision. And I think that um, first, you saw the, 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 the police departments and the sheriffs move on it um, and sort of create guidance as sort of how uh, people were going to get these permits. Now, then you saw Honolulu City Council pass a law um, identifying sensitive places, and the state legislature is also working on things. So we're less than a year beyond that Supreme Court decision, and locally we've responded quickly. And 
the backlog of people who have been waiting for this for a long time. They got their victory, and, and it's it's good to hear that they were patiently waiting to make sure that they're you know, responsible, safe gun owners, and, and we can identify them as such. Okay, let's go to a caller on the line now. Michelle is calling us from Kaneohe. Welcome, Michelle. What do you have to say this morning? Oh, thank you very much. I mean, first first off, just my, my opinion is, is that it feels like the whole country, and now including Hawaii, is turning into a version of the Wild West. How are we supposed to know when it's a good guy, quote-unquote, carrying a gun versus a bad actor. And I don't understand the fear in this country by all of those who claim to be advocates of the Second Amendment, which also talks about a well-regulated militia outside of law enforcement. Why private citizens all of a sudden seem to have this insatiable need to carry weapons? I don't get it. So anyway, that's just my mana'o and opinion on the subject, and I'd like to hear from you folks. Thank you so much, Michelle. Mahalo for that. Uh, Glennon, what do you have to say? Why would uh, someone feel that they need to carry a firearm, a concealed firearm, on their person in their everyday lives? Well, a lot of the feedback that we get concerning ownership and use of a firearm, and I use the term firearm because any type of tool or with intent becomes a weapon. So in this case, we're talking about firearms because there's thousands of people that are that belong to clubs that shoot for marksmanship training. Uh, there's air rifle teams that are high schools. So there's a lot of firearms out there that are not used for the purpose of, of self-defense or uh, concealed carry. But it is a Second Amendment thing where folks that are trained folks that have met the requirements should have that right. Hopefully, they never have to use the firearm. I mean, that's we're all about community safety. We always have been. I think the way it reads quite often when you're reading the newspaper or the TV shows, and we're inundated with violence, obviously, in all of our TV and media. In fact, uh, I don't appreciate a lot of the programs I watch on TV because it implicates firearms as being something very destructive, and it doesn't have to be that way. Personal defense is a right. We support that right, but we also support a very safe approach to doing it training. I've been involved in firearms since I was 12 years old. I actually uh, was raised by a single mother, and in one event, I was actually able to keep my mom safe in our household with a burglar by knowing how to use a firearm at age 12. And my mom followed me around as we cleared the house before law enforcement, which took 35 minutes to get there. And it was a safe outcome, and we avoided a big problem. So when you, you have that understanding of firearms, you have that association, you have that training, and you have that comfort level, it doesn't seem so threatening. And I think that's what I believe in very dearly, and I think the right to have is a very important right. You know, Chris, uh, Michelle brought up this idea of a good guy with a gun. We hear that a lot. Uh, you know, how do you respond to her concerns this morning? I mean, I think she's absolutely right that, you know, at first sight, you can't tell what someone's intentions would be with with a gun. Um, you know, the, the, the fact that we are vetting folks through the concealed carry permitting process helps us to determine that people who are legally carrying these guns are are, you know, don't don't have nefarious ideas. Now, I would also say that we're not all sort of deemed to be a good guy or a bad guy today and for the rest of our lives. People take different actions. They, they react to different things. Um, you know, w- there's there's some, some pretty well-known statistics. You know, if you have a firearm in your home, it is more, you know, and honestly, Glennon's anecdote notwithstanding, that's a really powerful anecdote about, about protecting his mother and the burglar and that, but statistically, um, you know, you're more likely to, to harm someone in your own home than to defend your home with a gun. So people take that chance. That's fine. You know, there's a lot of statistics about accidents and cars and things like that. We still drive. Um, so it's really about having a responsible person behind the wheel, a responsible person behind the gun, right? So how do we figure that out? Um, I was in the military. I was trained on lots of different uh, platforms, firearms, weapon systems, et cetera, et cetera. And we focus on training, safety, and accountability. We understand that guns are tools, right? They are tools for a specific use. And you use them when you need them. And when you don't, you lock them up and you put them away. 
Um, and that that idea doesn't, to me, make its way into civilian culture. Don't, people don't think of guns as tools. They think of them as, as, as fashion accessories, as political footballs, as a way to show their manhood sometimes. And so what you see is the wrong people who have these guns, whether they're permanent or not, and they can, you know, even a person um, who can pass a concealed carry permit process, um, you know, might uh, end up at a place where uh, driving on H1 and, and someone might cut them off and they're legally have a gun in their car um, and they might choose to use it at that point, thinking that they're the good guy here because that bad guy cut them off. And so that good guy, bad guy thing is so subjective and, it, and, it, and what we what we're stuck with now is that it is subjective for the individual holding the gun because they're wielding that weapon and that, that power, that fatality, because as Glennon mentioned, lots of things can be weapons, but guns are the most fatal of those things, right? They are the most likely to cause death, more likely than a baseball bat, more likely than a knife, more likely than, you know, a, a tire iron. So, so that's what we need to think about and why we need to think more carefully about guns and who's holding them and who's, uh, who's concealed carrying them. We want to remind listeners that you can call and join the conversation, join the discussion by calling us at 941-3689 or 1-877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. I want to talk about uh, the the sensitive places legislation because that all sort of wraps into this uh, just so that people understand both Honolulu and Hawaii counties have passed laws to restrict where those carrying guns are allowed to go, banning them from so-called sensitive places. On Oahu, Bill 57, which was recently signed by the mayor, includes a government-owned building, schools and child care facilities, public parks, shelters, election polling places, public transit, businesses that serve alcohol, large public gatherings, including protests, concert venues, cannabis dispensaries, hospitals, and specifically Hanauma Bay, the children's Hawaii Children's Discovery Center, Honolulu Zoo, and the Waikiki Aquarium. Uh, Captain Lau, how do officers navigate this now? We have the sensitive places legislation. If an officer believes that someone is in a sensitive place and they have a firearm, what is the procedure? So it's highly unlikely that the officer is going to actually see that violation. It's, if they do, it, it's just the right place at the right time. Um, and the officer would engage in, 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 in an investigation, got information gathering and finding out whether or not this person has a license to carry. Um, but most likely it will be a situation where somebody from the public calls it in and says, hey, I see this person, I think they have a gun, and um, an officer will be dispatched. Um, from that point on, the officer would come out. Um, they'd hopefully meet with somebody who called it in to get more information from them, and then we would approach the person to start the investigation. Okay. Uh, Glennon, what are your thoughts on Bill 57, this idea that there are all of these restrictions uh, on, these, on these locations? Are these reasonable? Well, sensitive places, in this case, tends to be very broad, and I think that's that's kind of a mistake, actually. Um, we've got to be a lot clearer about it and, and the reasoning behind it. Because I, I looked at different scenarios where you, you say government buildings. There's a lot of government buildings in, say, Chinatown. But how do we know they're government buildings? Because the city and county of Honolulu actually owns those buildings, although they're leased out to tenants that you would think are privately owned. So by going in that building and the say, oh, now they're in a government, how did they know they were in a government building is what I'm saying. So what you do is you create a lot of confusion and that leads to criminalizing people that are actually trying to do the right thing in some cases. So it, it creates a lot of confusion. I know 57 applies to city, county of Honolulu. Uh, on the Big Island, we have a series of other considerations. In Maui and Kauai, there are other considerations and we have an inconsistency. And the House, when they had their uh, input, public input, with uh, Rep Tarnas, um, I thought it was a very well done uh, session where they were gathering information of how to create some consistency. Also, in, in, in my perfect world, obviously, I would like to see the Attorney General's office taking on the whole system of a firearm division where they handle all of this. But of course, talk your legislators into funding that, right? So it's been pushed back down to chiefs of police, back to the chiefs of police to make decisions. And there's always been some inconsistencies between the islands when it comes to firearms. Some of our permits actually had pictures on them. Other counties don't have pictures on them. So there's these little nuances of, of differences. Um, 
you don't have that in driver's licensing, except on Oahu, you charge us more when we get a license. But um, that's the consistency that I'd like to see because it creates less confusion and less likelihood of criminalizing somebody that's trying to do the right thing. And we could get some consistency. Uh, The legislature now is looking to pass a bill that would establish statewide sensitive places. Chris, what are your thoughts on the sensitive places designations? Uh, There has been a lot of talk that this stuff is going to get challenged in court as soon as it's passed. Uh, What are your thoughts? Are are these necessary? Is this an exhaustive list? Is this an appropriate list? Share your insights. Yeah, I think that the, the list is, 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 is pretty good. I mean, I think w- there's been some polling done on it um, in the last month or so um, that showed that uh, 94% of Hawaii residents uh, support um, sensitive places like schools and playgrounds and government buildings. And then when you expand that list to include, you know, protested, protest areas, public gatherings, things like that, um, you get upwards of 75% support. So at a minimum, you three-quarters of the constituents of the lawmakers who made this law agree with what they did. And that's the lawmaker's job, right? They're, they're supposed to listen to their constituents, make that law, and then if there's challenges in the court, there's challenges in the court. Um, I think that, you know, it, it is hard um, to sort of say, hey, here's all the places you shouldn't have guns, and the list already seems long, and, and Glenda makes a good point about buildings in Chinatown that might be owned by the city and county. That's why they did something that was even more brilliant, which is they put in a private business default. And that means um, that, that if you want to welcome guns into your private business, um, your, your store, your nonprofit, whatever it is, you put up a sign that says guns welcome. Um, and when they passed Bill 57, there was examples of these signs. Um, you don't have to put up a sign that says guns not allowed. In a lot of states, that's the way that they've gone. But in Hawaii, based on the culture we have and the amount of guns that we have and the amount of citizens that don't carry, have, don't, don't have guns, don't want to carry guns, don't want to see guns, I think that's the right way for us to go, and it alleviates that confusion, right? Because unless that building in Chinatown that's owned by the city and county but is rented out to a lay shop or whatever, unless it says guns allowed, they're not, right? And so we, you know, that, that, and that will be um, something that really the only people responsible for knowing that are these people who are going through this rigorous process to get their concealed carry license. They know that guns aren't allowed. They're going to hopefully follow those rules, and the rest of us and the, the mom and pop store owners don't have to know that kind of stuff. This is The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. We are talking about concealed carry permits in Hawaii and the sensitive places legislation. You can join the discussion, too, by calling 1-877-941-3689. Stay with us. We'll be right back after this break. Support for The Conversation comes from Skog Rasmussen, LLC, designing solutions for community engagement, project strategy, government relations, and grants services. Learn more at skograsmussen.com. Help shape the future of Hawaii Public Radio. Nominate yourself for our Community Advisory Board. As a volunteer, you'll represent your neighborhood and advise HPR on programming, events, and outreach. If you live on Lanai, Moluka'i, Maui, Kauai, or the Big Island, we especially want you to apply. Apply by May 31st at hawaiipublicradio.org. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Queen's Health System, committed to caring for the community at its hospitals and clinics. Learn more at queens.org. Welcome back. This is The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Yanji Denise, in for Catherine Cruz. We are speaking today about the concealed carry permits in Hawaii and sensitive places legislation. We've got a caller on the line now. Andrew in Kaneohe is joining us. Andrew, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, Please go ahead. Okay. Uh, Mine's a pretty simple thing. Hopefully uh, you may have answered it earlier. Uh, Accountability as far as the permits are concerned. So... If, you're, if you come across a person who is walking around holding a gun or waving it around, maybe in a, you know, in a, in a outdoor place that's 
allowed for that sort of thing. What is the accountability for something like that? You, you talked earlier about um, using it as a tool and not as a machismo or a political, um, but for somebody to kind of have their hand resting on it while they talk, you know, when they come up to talk to somebody. Is there an accountability for that sort of action, or is it once they have the permit, they can kind of do what they want? Uh, I'll hop off and take a listen. Thank you. Thank you so much, Andrew. Captain Lau, let's send that question over to you. Okay, so in that kind of situation, you should absolutely call 911 and have the police respond. Um, at that point in time, you don't know it, w- what the state of mind of that person is, what their intent is. But if they have their gun out and they're waving it around, um, then definitely it's probably not something good. You want a police officer to come over. You want to have them investigate, find out if it's a real gun, first of all, and if it is a real gun. Um, that All of that, having it out, having it brandished, um, having their hand on it, that's it's it's all, that's all prohibited actions um, even for the license to carry applicants so um, we don't expect anybody to just um, sit back relax and say well people can carry guns here in Hawaii and, and that is true but there are restrictions as to how people can carry guns and um, the biggest thing right now is that um, I think people fail to realize that it's a concealed carry license and so um, people who are um, legally owning guns, who are of suitable um, character, are being issued the license to carry. They're not the, the people that are going to be walking around, waving their gun around, brandishing it at other people. So most likely that person that you see may have something going on, but most likely it's not going to be our, one of our license to carry people. Chris, go ahead and weigh in on this. Well, I, I think what the captain said is, is great. That's what we hope. We hope that all of the people, and, and, and keep, keep in mind, we're looking at about 800 applicants right now. So it's less than one-tenth of one percent of, uh, of the residents, of, and that's just in Honolulu County, right? So it's less than one-tenth of one percent, or less than one in a thousand, right? So 999 out of a thousand aren't, aren't going after this. So we're, we're really accommodating this small percentage of people. And we hope that they have met the standards uh, that, that are required to conceal carry. But I talked to a friend this morning. Who's, who is at, uh, at Salt in Kaka'ako, the, the, the area that has multiple places that serve alcohol, multiple restaurants, not in one of the alcohol-serving establishments, but in another food service establishment. Um, and her and her friends saw a guy, and when he sat down, it revealed the gun that he had concealed on his waist, waistband. Um, she didn't know what to do. The friends were frightened. They decided to eat outside instead of inside. Um, should they call the police? Should they tell the store owner? What should they do? Look, the store did not have a sign that said guns are allowed. So private business default meant that whether that, that person, let's assume that person with the gun was legally carrying and has the proper permit, he should have known not to take it into that establishment, right? And so it causes all this confusion. And what, what's, what happens is that so many times, again, different gun owners have different levels of understanding, different levels of permissiveness in how they're going to push the laws. Um, and some of them, it's, it's like water. Like if they can take, take a gun there, they're going to take a gun there. Right, and so we need to be able to figure out like what private citizens, store owners, and then of course the police are able to do, because um, we can't always trust that that person, despite going through the permit process, will will act accordingly. Captain Lau, uh, you know the the caller Andrew and Kaneohe brought up a, a really extreme sort of example: someone actually brandishing a firearm. Uh, what Chris is talking about is more nuanced. Uh, d- is that person by revealing their gun, perhaps inadvertently? breaking the concealed carry law. I believe that is a misdemeanor. And and in that circumstance, what would be the advice to the, the women who saw the gun in that in that restaurant? So I kind of equate this with um, having a driver's license. And if you're on the road and you see somebody um, weaving in and out of lanes and you suspect, oh, something's going on there, they might be drunk, you're going to call police, right? Because you don't know if if they have a driver's license, if they are drunk, but you see something that's not right, what are you gonna do? You're gonna call police, they're gonna find that person, they're gonna start their investigation and find out. So it's the officer's um, job to find out if they're, if they're licensed or if they're drunk and they're, the driving drunk is not okay. So just because you have a license doesn't mean that you can drive any way that you want to. And I know that's not the same thing as having a license to carry. 
But same thing in this situation. You see something that's not right, call the officers, have the officer come over and address it. So yes, having an unconcealed firearm for a concealed license is a violation. And that will be addressed also with um, hopefully the legislation that comes up this next week. Glennon, what are your thoughts? Well, again, it goes back to you're being permitted for concealed carry. So keep it concealed. I mean, we spent a lot of time on this in training. You know, the type of clothing you wear, how you conceal it, what type of holstering system. Many women opt to have concealed carry purses or backpacks or briefcases for men. There are some very good concealed carry types of methods that we obviously spend time on in the training, and that's why they get this training, so they're not breaking the law. But there's no perfect you know, situation here, and it doesn't just happen in these cases in Hawaii where it's fairly new. It happens with people traveling to Las Vegas. Believe it or not, it's legal to open carry on the, on the strip in Las Vegas, but a lot of people don't do it. But Vegas also speaks to the converse, and I think it's over-restrictive when you're saying all businesses are off limits except when they say welcome firearms. I mean, you know, if, you, if you're going to be in a situation where you have to put a sign up, welcome firearms, that's also a stigma right there. It's a stigma for a lot of people to put a sign up. That's why this converse thing creates all this extra restriction that we don't agree with, whereas in Vegas, they have a law that says, yes, you can restrict firearms, and it's typically in casinos or bars. It has to be a certain size sign with a certain size font that says specifically, no firearms allowed. If you go to Nordstrom in Ala Moana, if you look on their entrance stores, there's a little sign like there that says, no firearms allowed. Okay, so they've already done what we believe in doing if you don't want firearms in your business. But this converse thing, all it does, and I know the reasoning behind it, it's restrict as much as you possibly can to the point where all we can carry is on the sidewalk. And if I'm walking with a colleague and we both have concealed carry, what's to say we're not gathering without a permit? I mean, it's, it's, it's getting too intense. And I understand some of this psychology here because it's such a new thing for Hawaii. And I, and I understand that. And I get that. I've lived here most of my life. But I've also lived in a lot of other places around the country. And we don't have that many crazy people out there. They really do have a duty. And they, and they, they follow that. And that is they took the training. They're responsible. They're concealing it properly. And yeah, if you're sitting in a restaurant and it shows, call the police. That's what they do in other states. Because people may not understand it, they'll say, oh, he's got a gun. Maybe he's going to hold up this place, but I better call the police. And that's okay. And the person carrying usually doesn't have a problem with that when police arrive. They'll get out their permit, they'll talk story, and everything's good. So, and we want to do. We want to clarify also that while Honolulu County uh, defaults uh, in the favor of having to post that you allow a gun, Hawaii County defaults the other way. So it's assumed that you are allowed to carry a firearm unless you specify that you are not. So I think that that creates, you know, this this inconsistency. County to yeah. county can create some confusion. Yeah, and, I, and I live in Hawaii County. I have one foot in Hawaii County. I have one foot in on Oahu. So I'm seeing a lot of this, you know, living in it. Uh, go ahead, Chris. Uh, I'll, real quickly on that, it's likely that the state legislation, which we'll probably um, you know see a vote before the end of the session next week, will will clear that up um, um, and let the counties be more restrictive than the state legislation if they need to be. But the comparison to the mainland is is apropos here, right? We we are not the mainland, right? We we are we are a unique state in that we don't have terrestrial borders, so. Um, we can have great gun laws and then are not having guns driven in from other states that have permissive gun laws. Um, Hawaii ranks third as far as like the, the, the uh, quality of our gun violence prevention laws. Um, and we rank second as lowest as far as gun violence. So what we've been doing in restricting the guns in our state works. There were 48,000 deaths in the United States from guns last year. Guns in the United States is the leading cause of death for children and teens. That's new. That just passed up car accidents and cancer and other things, but the leading cause of death for children and teens in the United States is guns. But it's not in Hawaii, right? Because we have good gun laws. And that's what we're making here. That's what our legislators are making. Um, and and when, we, when they make that private business default, what we know is that 
90% of people who live here aren't listening to HPR this morning. They're not reading the newspaper and see, they're not you know, tracking what's going on in the legislature. Um, we wish more than, than, than that we're listening to HPR. They should all be listening. But, <laughs> uh, but, but the truth is that most people, this isn't what they keep up with on their day-to-day -day life like we do, right? Um, and, and so let them off the hook. Don't make them the, 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 the store owner. Um, the restaurant here, the, 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 even the, the employee, right? That 19-year-old that, um, hostess at a, at a restaurant, don't make her be the person who has to say, um, I noticed a gun in your waistband, you know, do, do I need to call the cops? Do I need to tell my boss? Do I need to ask about it? What do I do? Just, just make the default easy for our small business owners because Nordstrom does it differently because they operate on the mainland where there's 48,000 gun deaths every year, right? So that is a, a corporate policy. Right, and so for our, for our local shops, it's it's more important that we do it in a way that's com uh, comfortable for them. Let's take another call. We've got Tom from the Big Island, who's a retired police officer, and would like to share his perspective. Tom, what do you have to say this morning? Yeah, hi. I, I just I, I was listening, and um, when I heard uh, the caller a few minutes ago um, speaking about what if they encounter someone that's waving a gun in the air, well, I think that's a totally separate situation than a a, a, a legal. Um, gun owner um, that has owned a gun for um, years uh, and that maybe have, have gone through a, a hunter education safety course or the prescribed firearms safety course. I don't believe that person would be out there waving a gun around. That would be a totally situation where you have an irate person who is actually breaking a law who got somehow got a hold of a firearm. But um, to educate, which is our job, right, is to educate. Um, and if they go, if the public wants a, a, doc, a, a publication to refer to, they can go to Hawaii Vice Statute, um, and it's 703-300. So that, it, it, um, it mentions all of the cases, all of the situations, or, or most of the situations where a person may have to uh, apply that law if they're carrying a firearm. And just the um, one one issue I'd like to say is, you know, Hawaii's values might be a little bit different than the rest of the continental United States, um, where we have not been allowed to carry on our person a firearm legally. So it, it's definitely a, a question about, you know, where our own personal values come into play and respecting another person's beliefs as far as their values where it comes to uh, gun ownership, and I think most persons that do apply for a concealed carry permit are, are going to be aware of those persons who have, it, it's a sensitive issue for them when it comes to their values and gun ownership. Okay. And again, refer to um, Hawaii Vice Statute 703-300. I think that will answer a lot of people's questions, and thank you so much for having this discussion. Aloha. Thank you so much. Aloha to you, Tom. Uh, you know, Captain Lau, he does bring up a good point that there are statutes that explore a lot of the possibilities. But one thing that I'm interested in on this, since it is such new ground, is this idea that you could have a concealed carry permit uh, and then you could be called to go to a place where they don't allow a weapon or, excuse me, a firearm. Uh, let's say, you know, I have, a, I have a four and a six year old myself. Let's say that I had a concealed carry permit and then I have to go pick up one of my kids from school. I wasn't expecting to, so I have my gun. In that situation, uh, what do I do with that firearm? Uh, do I have to leave it in my car? Am I allowed to leave it on the car on school property? I, you know, is that safe to leave it in a car? What do you suggest folks do? You still got to pick up your kids. You still have to maybe go to Nordstrom. Uh, you know, how do you navigate this? So um, it's hopefully it'll be addressed with the legislation coming up, and HPD has been very active with testifying um, with the lawmakers um, this session. And that was one of the issues that were brought up where if you are, you have your firearm with you and you are going to some place where it doesn't allow it, that you have safe storage of the firearm in your vehicle. And uh, I believe that the drafts of the different legislation have gone back and forth where it had to be secured in a fireproof, tamper-proof, locked, um, container in your in your car and at one time it said you had it had to be unloaded which HPD said that'd be very dangerous to be loading and loading your firearm at a car so um, the legislators have gone back and forth but I believe that that is what they're moving towards.
Okay, a lot more to talk about on on this. This is the conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. We are speaking this morning with Chris Marvin, Glennon Jingo, and HPD Captain Carlene Lau about concealed carry permits in Hawaii and sensitive places legislation. You can join the discussion too by calling one eight seven seven nine four one three six eight nine. Stay with us. We'll be back after the break. Support for HPR comes from Hawaii Theater Center, presenting Bernadette Peters in an evening of song featuring Broadway standards by Rogers and Hammerstein, Stephen Sondheim, and more, May 27th. Tickets at hawaiitheater.com. Today on The Daily, less than a week after Fox News reached a historic settlement in a defamation lawsuit, the network has abruptly fired Tucker Carlson, an anchor at the center of that case. We explore why the network is cutting ties with its biggest star and what Fox will be without Tucker Carlson. That's today on The Daily from The New York Times. Beginning this afternoon at 1.30. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Mobi, a Hawaii wireless company since 2005, featuring a locally based customer care team committed to problem solving and personal service for each client. Learn more at Mobi.com. Welcome back to The Conversation. I'm Yenji Denise in for Catherine Cruz, and we are speaking today about sensitive places legislation and concealed carry permits here in the islands. Glennon, I want to go to you uh, with the scenario that Captain Lau just discussed about someone having to leave a firearm uh, or, or, you know, in their car or in a safe place if they're not allowed in a business. What kind of concerns do you have about the scenarios that that brings up? What if your car is stolen? I mean, there's a number of things that you could think about happening that could make it quite dangerous. I totally agree. There are quite a few concerns. And one is that when we do firearm courses, we spend time, which we're required to do, to talk about state and county law as to firearms because we don't want our students to get into trouble so we're going to have to give them a good cross-section of, of what what's happening with the law and one of those things is that the way the law states right now is you're a point a to point b from point b back to point a it's a sojourn without any delays or any loitering in between and in doing that it has to be a cased firearm at this point they're not saying locked but they're saying cased firearm so that's how it is right now, correct me if I'm wrong, on transport of a firearm. So if, if you've got to convert your concealed carry status to now storing, which technically you would be doing in your vehicle, because if you're parking it, it's being stored in there, that brings in a whole different discussion. I don't know the legal implications of that because now you're responsible for having a firearm in your vehicle. My understanding as a trainer is you can't leave it in a vehicle and you can't have delays in your travel between point A and B when you're going to your office or to a firearm store or to repair center for a firearm to cocoa head shooting range. It has to be directly related without any loitering in between. So that's a good add on to this question is, is you know, what are that the implications? But in a practical sense, yeah, that's a very good question. What do I do? How do I keep myself safe? How do I, you know, keep this whole situation a safe situation where someone can't just steal my car or break in the car and, like, taking a purse could take my gun case? It's, it's a very good question. Chris? Well, yeah, across the country, a lot of guns are stolen from automobiles. That's actually, you know, a, a, a primary way for criminals to get to get guns um, in other places where there's no laws about how guns need to be secured, locked up uh, in inside automobiles. I mean... Um, it's, 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 to me, it sounds like, you know, presenting a problem without offering a solution, right? So is the alternative to Glennon's question, they should take their gun concealed carry into the school? 
I mean, if, if you have to, you, you know, you, you mentioned maybe go have to go pick up your six-year-old. Um, so it's, I guess it's drive home, you know, if, but, but if the legislation is, is creating a way where we can reasonably allow gun owners with concealed car- carry permits to safely um, and reasonably store a gun in their car in a way where it won't get stolen or tampered with, where, you know, they'll be able to keep it, then that, that seems more reasonable than saying, oh, just let them go into the school. Um, if not, just leave it at home. Yeah, and Captain Lau, what does that storage have to look like? Does it have to have a lock on it? Do you have to disclose, let's say, you valet your car? You know, a lot of restaurants in Hawaii require that you uh, drop your car with someone else. Do you have to disclose to the person who will be driving your vehicle that there's a, a gun in there? How, how does that work? I believe the last legislation that I saw, it did require that it had to be a locked box and it had to be fixed. So it wasn't something that even though it was a locked box, you could just pick it up out of the out of the vehicle and take it off with take off with it so it had to be secured to the vehicles at some point like with a lo- bicycle lock or something like that uh, I'm trying I'm think I'm just envisioning <laughs> on a practical level what this actually looks like well they actually have it, there's a market for that and um, police vehicles across the country have them too with their locked gun boxes made for vehicles where it's actually um, screwed into the the vehicle Interesting. Yeah. Okay, it, we've the, the good news is 1.4 million residents in the state of Hawaii, and only 823 have to figure out how to do this. So, like, they'll <laughs> they'll get together, they'll put their heads together, they're going to figure it out. And if you want to get in the market of you know selling, it's a growing market, ca- car secured gun safes, then maybe that's a good place to be in in Hawaii. You know, you can make a profit off of those types of things. They'll be they'll be buying more soon. Let's go to a caller right now. Bonnie and Holly Eva has a question about concealed carry uh, and establishments that serve alcohol. Good morning, Bonnie. What's your question? Um, thanks. Um, you know, my question was something different until I heard that last comment about making money off of um, gun sales. Um, that kind of threw me a little bit. Uh, that I think that's kind of a big part of the problem overall with um, with firearms is that they're great money makers and everybody wants to get in on that. Um, but anyway, my comment was um, that my concern is that if you have some, if you have a gun on you, then that means that you are more likely to use it. If I have drugs on me, I'm more likely to use them. If I have candy on me, I'm more likely to eat it. And so people walking around with guns, they all think they're the good guys, and maybe they are, but uh, they, what are they doing? Are they scouting around to see if there's going to a situation that might um, be something that they could intervene in with a gun? It, so that that's that's my concern. Okay, it's thank you. It's safe and it's wonderful until it's not, and then it's tragic and awful. That's that's kind of the way I'm thinking. Thank you for that, Bonnie. Uh, Chris, I see you nodding over there. I mean, do, does having a firearm make a situation more or less safe? Well, I'm going to react to what she said. She reacted to what I said right before right before she t- spoke, and I'm going to react to what she said that it's safe and it's wonderful until it's not, and then it's tragic and it's awful. And I think that there is nothing. Um, that I learned about guns in the military more profound than that, right? That, that these are tools used to take human life. And in the military, that's what we were intent on doing with them um, in combat um, under the right circumstances, right? And so we could go into a whole conversation about the restrictions that the military puts on people. Um, first of all, they don't get to carry their personally owned firearms on, on military bases at all, ever. Um, and even in combat, right, we have these strict rules of engagement. And so you start to think about, so what would a rule of engagement be for uh, a person in Honolulu who has a concealed carry permit? Um, w- you know, when did they decide, I'm going to uh, remove the gun from the holster and, and, and utilize it as a tool, um, as, as a tool that can cause a fatality? Um, is it because someone stole a pack of gum from a 7-Eleven? Um, is it because there's a fist fight? Is it because there is a rape or a murder? You know what I mean? So like, where is the line? That's not defined, right? That is up to the uh, the, the prudence of the individual carrying the gun, and so what people who make the argument that the only thing with the uh, the only thing that can stop a bad guy with the gun is a good guy with the gun, a good guy with the gun is um, what they're really saying is guns are a solution. There's a pro- I see a problem. Not this gun is going to be a solution. So, you know, it may be a solution for a home invasion. It may be a solution if 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 you're you know looking at an, an, another armed person with a gun, a, a school shooting, a ma- potential mass shooting. 
Um, um, but it's also a solution, again, for road rage uh, for a guy who snaked away from you um, uh, at a cockfight. Was it last week, week before? Um, you know, there was folks got in an argument, and um, one or two of them had guns, and two people died, and three people were uh, injured. That's the first mass shooting we've had in Hawaii in uh, decades. Um, and it's it's not coincidental that it's you know along the the, the, the same time frame as we're um, increasing permissibility for for guns to be out in the public. And a comment to that, that was an illegal cockfight, and they are all committing felonies. And probably the gun owners that were there, if they were even the owners, were felons by way of already having a criminal record. So that's kind of reaching into the world of the expertise that is you know, committed to protect us from. So, um, you know, again, it goes back to concealed carry. And, and I, I appreciate Chris's comments about some stats he pulled. I, I wanted to ask him about the 48,000, uh, you said teens, I guess, in that range of ages, because I spent 18 years working in that youth level. Um, just wanted to know what, uh, where those stats came from. And, and I'll let you answer after I finish. Um, because I'm curious and I want the listeners to know where they can look for those stats because when I, I'm in safety training as well and it's always good to know those stats. I look at pediatric drownings, I look at all the aspects of uh, falls, uh, heart attacks, cardiac arrest of course, and strokes. And it's just interesting to see where those stats came from. And uh, the, the other thing in all of this too is um, when we talk about training and when we talk about the use of force, there are some very defined uh, laws that exist, uh, sometimes refer to the Castle Doctrine. And in my classes, as well as most of my colleagues' classes, we always talk about this being a last resort to solve the problem. We really do. Nobody wants to shoot somebody. I mean, I'm sure, Chris, even in the military and the front line, there's that decision-making that really has to be done. And that, it is a last resort. And, and there are other ways of handling problematic situations. And we encourage, and not only that, the legal implications of actually shooting somebody and getting a defense attorney and going through that process could be very costly. Chris, let's get those uh, the, the source on those stats, and then we actually have to go to final thoughts because we're almost out of time. But briefly, if you could tell us where those numbers are coming from. Yeah, so um, the Gun Violence Archive is usually where I go to find out how many gun deaths we've had in the given year or past years or uh, how many mass shootings have happened this year, which last I checked, which is last week, was 165 mass shootings in the United States in 108 days. Um, so the, the suicide numbers aren't available for 2022. So for 2021, there was 21,009 um, gun deaths. Uh, there were non-suicides and 26,328 there were suicides. So 56% of gun deaths in the United States in 2021 were suicides, but that's a total of 47,337, which is slightly below the 48,000 number that I must have rounded up. Um, also, 40,000 uh, folks are injured every year by guns. Um, so, but that, that number's been increasing exponentially uh, with COVID and whatnot. Like, it used to, the number we used to quote was um, 20 or 25,000, and all of a sudden it's, it's almost up at 50,000. So, uh, that's frightening. And then, separately, the, 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 the leading cause of death in the United States for teens and children is now guns. Um, and so, um, well, both of those things together just tells us, points the direction that we're going in, um, which unfortunately is um, in some degree the direction that Hawaii is going in now. Let's talk uh, through our final thoughts. Now I'd like to get each of you to just weigh in. I know this is a tough topic and we appreciate all of your perspectives this morning. Glenn, and let's start with you. What's your final thought on this issue? Well, with all of this, I, I, have, I have faith in the humanity of our population, especially in Hawaii. You know, I didn't move here and live here most of my life to uh, not appreciate uh, the wonders of he being here, the people that are here, the warmth of being here in the Aloha State. So the last thing I want is to say something like, well, on the mainland they do it this way and it makes it better. Not necessarily. I think we have an opportunity here to be constitutional. I think we have an opportunity to work together where people can have their rights. And when it, what comes with that, of course, is responsibility. And I think we're on that road. And I think a lot of people have uh, fears, and I understand that, but I, I also have faith that we have the humanity that's going to prevent a lot of these issues in the future. Chris, what are your final thoughts? You know, I've had a lot of conversations with folks that are um, pro-gun rights, pro-Second Amendment uh, in the past uh, months, and um, all of them are smart, and I think that they're 
um, trained responsible gun owners. And if Glennon and his colleagues were training everybody, you know, uh, to the standard that he holds, I think that we'd be in a better place. But the truth is that the more guns we have out there, the more they're going to get in the hands of dangerous people or uh, the more you know, someone who has passed background checks and uh, has a permit is going to act irrationally one day because it only takes one one moment. Um, we need to remember that we're making laws for everybody, right? Making laws for everybody, not not just the gun owners and the ones with the permit, but also the people who own small businesses, et cetera. We want to preserve our culture and um, and follow in the tradition that Hawaii should be really proud of, that we have some of the lowest gun violence rates in the nation, and we want to keep it that way. Okay, and Captain Lau, in about 30 seconds, your final thoughts on this issue this morning. Sure, no problem. Just wanted to let everybody know HPD is not pro-gun, we're not anti-gun, but we're just here to promote um, the safe use of firearms through responsible training and education. And we want just everybody out there that they are licensed to carry to know their gun laws and to follow them. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you to our guest, HPD Captain Carlene Lau, Glennon Jingo of the Hawaii Rifle Association, and Chris Marvin of Every Town for Gun Safety. And of course, thank you to you, our listeners, for joining us on today's show. Do you have a comment to share about today's program? Call our talkback line at 808-792-8217. You can also send us an email at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. If you'd like to listen back to today's show, check out the Conversation podcast at hawaiipublicradio.org. I'm Yanji Denise in for Catherine Cruz. Join Bill Dorman tomorrow for more of The Conversation. Mm-hmm.